And the second reading is uh, from Nehemiah chapter 13, um, Nehemiah's final reforms. On that day they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people and it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God because they did not meet the Israelites with bread and water but hired Balaam against them to curse them. Yet our God turned the curse into a blessing. When the people heard the law, they separated from Israel all those of foreign descent. Now before this, the priest Elisha, who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God and who was related to Tobiah, prepared for Tobiah a large room where they had previously put the grain offering, the frankincense, the vessels and the tithes of grain, wine and oil which were given by commandment to the Levites, singers and gatekeepers and the contributions for the priests. While this was taking place, I was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of King Artaxerxes of Babylon, I went to the king. After some time, I asked leave of the king and returned to Jerusalem. I then discovered the wrong that Elisha had done on behalf of Tobiah, preparing a room for him in the courts of the house of God. And I was very angry, and I threw all the household furniture of Tobiah out of the room. Then I gave orders, and they cleansed the chambers, and I brought back the vessels of the house of God with the grain offering and the frankincense. I also found out that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them, so that the Levites and the singers who had conducted the service had gone back to their fields. So I remonstrated with the officials and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their stations. Then all Judah bought the tithe of the grain, wine, and all into the storehouses. And I appointed as treasurers over the storehouses the priest Shelemiah, the scribe Zadok, and Pediah of the Levites, and as their assistant Hanan, son of Zachar, son of Matana, for they were considered faithful, and their duty was to distribute to their associates. Remember me, O my God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for his service. In those days I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys, and also wine grapes, figs, and all kinds of burdens which they brought into Jerusalem on their Sabbath day. And I warned them at that time against selling food. Tyrians also, who lived in the city, bought in fish and all kinds of merchandise and sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah and in Jerusalem. Then I remonstrated with the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this evil thing that you are doing, profaning the Sabbath day? Did not your ancestors act in this way, and did not our God bring all these disaster on us and on the city? Yet you bring more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. When it began to be dark at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded the doors should be shut and gave orders that they should not be opened until after the Sabbath. And I set some of my servants over the gates to prevent any burden from being brought in on the Sabbath day. Then the merchants and sellers of all kinds of merchandise spent the night outside Jerusalem once or twice. But I warned them and said to them, Why do you spend the night in front of the wall? If you do so again... I will lay hands on you. From that time on, they did not come on the Sabbath. 
And I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves and come and guard the gates to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember this also in my favour, O my God, and spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love. In those days also I saw Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab, and half of their children speak the language of Ashdod, and they could not speak the language of Judah, but spoke the language of various peoples. And I contended with them and cursed them and beat some of them and pulled out their hair. And I made them take an oath in the name of God, saying, You shall not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons or for yourselves. Did not King Solomon of Israel sin on account of such women? Among the many nations there was no king like him, and he was beloved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, foreign women make even him to sin. Shall we then listen to you and do all this great evil and act treacherously against our God by marrying foreign women? And one of the sons of Jehobadah, son of the high priest Eliashib, who was the son-in-law of Sanballat, the Horatite, I chased him away from me. Remember them, O my God, because they have defiled the priesthood, the covenant of the priests and the Levites. Thus I cleansed them from everything foreign, and I established the duties of the priests and Levites, each in his work. And I provided for the wood offering at appointed times and for the first fruits. Remember me, O my God, for good. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, so we're not covering this, these chapters verse by verse. If you're visiting us this morning, uh, we are at the end of a 10-week series, or we've covered over 10 separate sermons, Nehemiah, and what that means for us. Nehemiah, we've called it God's building project, is not about us doing a physical building project, but it's about uh, God's building project of us as God's people, the people, the church. And as I heard that reading again, I thought, well, for anyone that doesn't have context, there's probably at least something in that reading that might have offended you. Uh, There's some of the things that they did. So if you're feeling offended, uh, you're probably feeling rightly. That's okay. Uh, It's a context uh, where the people of God were being separated from all the foreign nations to be the, the people of God for the world. They were being gathered, set apart as a holy people. And so we've been looking at Nehemiah and what he's been doing over all these years. And one of the great tasks they did was rebuilding the wall that you see around the city of Jerusalem, uh, rebuilding the temple, setting everything in the right place, setting everything in order. Now, if you remember some of the characters that we've met along the way, you probably remember the names of Sambalat and, and Tobiah who were the troublemakers that were causing problems with the reason why the the people of Jerusalem were oppressed. Here in this chapter, you'd be surprised to see that uh, Tobiah, through his friendship with the high priest, has managed to get a house inside the the temple storehouse right at the top. It's probably probably a good place to, to live, but not the kind of place where Tobias should, should have been living. Somehow this guy who was cast out wasn't even uh, one of uh, God's people. He, he'd been cast out. Somehow he'd weaseled his way back into the, the center of operations uh, for the people of God. And the, the people that were meant to be there, well, they weren't getting paid their dues. And so they were out working the field. 
Nehemiah had invested his heart and soul into rebuilding everything, goes away to do his real job, which is cupbearer to the king of Babylon, comes back and finds this mess in place. If you've travelled 10 weeks, you would at some level feel the, the disappointment with what's happened. It's been set up. Finally, the people of God are in a place of order. Uh, when it talks about separating from, from foreign wives, uh, what they recognise is that when you have separate vision, a separate vision for the way the world should operate, uh, th- those with a different vision will lead you astray. Now, they didn't understand that the great mystery and the great plan of God, that God's plan of salvation was for all nations and all people. That's the New Testament reality. And so what you've heard and possibly be being offended by is an Old Testament reality that's no longer the case. It, if you don't have any Jewish heritage, you are welcome in the kingdom of God. Uh, that's what Jesus did on the cross for us. And so over nine weeks, we've covered praying for God's vision, the priority of prayer uh, that everyone builds, dealing with division in the body, dealing with division outside opposition, finding strength through joy, orienting our hearts towards God, orienting our hearts to each other, me to we, and orienting our lives around worship. If you're here and one of those topics interests you, I think most of them are up on the uh, podcast. This week, uh, connected in with Anzac Day, we're living, we're looking at living a life of service to create legacy for others to live in. Living a life of service to create legacy for others to live in. If I live for myself, I don't create space for others to live. So who, who or what do I live for? I think sometimes I can wake up and I want my coffee and I want my breakfast. and I, I'm living for myself for the first 45 minutes of my day. Who do I live the rest of my day for? What's the purpose that I serve. It's very easy and and the marketing of our world uh, is very much directed towards live for your own pleasure. Live to have your desires met. Who or what do I live for? Maybe you live for for your children. Maybe you live for your work. Who or what do I live for? Is it as, is take each day as it comes good advice. I want to argue that it's not good advice. That that actually to to live life well, we need to have a vision that's bigger than the day that we've woken up to. We need to have a vision bigger than our desires. We need to have a vision that's bigger than our family. Because if we want to create a legacy for others to live in, we need a vision that's big enough To hold them. Now, you don't necessarily need to be be the person that originates the vision. Nehemiah has come in uh, to Jerusalem with a vision of restoring the temple, restoring order, restoring the walls. His vision, his part was completed. No one stepped in with a bigger vision to help the things continue. Eliashab was not the person that could carry vision. I'm not saying that each person needs to have a vision that's big, but I think each of us as human beings, are designed to operate our best when we sit under a vision that's bigger than ourselves. And so if you want to leave legacy for others to live in, you, you need a vision that's bigger than yourself. Tobiah has, has a legacy. Tobiah's legacy is very much, I live 
for myself. I live for my own gain. I live to build up wealth. He's done well for himself. His personal connections, he's leveraged in such a way that he's been able to live in the storehouse of the temple of God. Tobiah has done well, but Tobiah's legacy is only for himself. The truth of that was found in where Jerusalem was before Nehemiah came and brought in reform. Jerusalem was in ruins. The people were in ruins. There was a rich minority and a deep poverty amongst the the people of God in Jerusalem. So the Tobiah kind of legacy of living for yourself, of building up wealth and then, you know, helping other people in the process, it, it doesn't work so well. We need to have a vision that includes other people. If we want to leave a legacy, we need a vision that extends beyond ourselves. Think for a moment. What's my vision for my life? Uh, We're thinking in my terms, but what is the vision that you have for life? Does it extend beyond yourself? You may have spotted uh, this as one of the windows in our church. It's just up there. I I swore I'd never be the person that talks about windows in churches, but we have some really good windows in our churches. And at the bottom of of that window is this word, fortitude. It's hard to wake up in the morning when your vision for life is a small vision. It's hard to go through difficult times in life when your vision for life is a small vision. A vision beyond the present will empower fortitude, that is, resilience in the face of suffering. The strength to continue when life is hard. When our vision is small, we're tossed to and fro by the good times and the bad times in life. So we need a vision beyond ourselves that empowers us to go through difficult times. As a parent, it's really easy to say yes to my kids for everything. But I know that if I say yes to them for everything and don't put up with the tantrums when I say no, that the end result, the end vision of their life is going to be some entitled adults that don't make a good difference in this world. Now, I continue continue to pray that God would fill me with vision for their life, his vision for their life, so that I can parent them well. If you have a vision for your company that is just about serving yourself or your work about serving yourself, then you'll never work through the hard things. Our kids look at their homework at the moment and go, I don't want to do that. It's too hard. Right now, it's too hard. So they need a vision that extends beyond that. I have a, I have a joke with my son who likes animals. Do you want to be a zookeeper or a keeper? <laughs> if, you, if you want to be a, a zookeeper, that's part of it. He loves animals there and not cleaning up the animal stuff. It rhymes really well. Uh, if you want to be that person, then you need to do some of these hard things now because otherwise you're going to be shoveling the other stuff. And so in that, what's he, he's capturing? Some of a, a vision for who he could be. And having a vision for who you could be and the difference you could make enables you to push past the difficulty of the present. As we've gone through with the coronavirus and the pandemic, we've all had a, a vision of life beyond that. What does it look like? Who does it involve? How 
Are you using what God has given you? See, leaving legacy for others always costs us something, and it might just be the comfort that we experience. It might be, as we've got names on these walls, lives and health. But the legacy that's given to us needs to be used. You see, legacy left that's not used, freedom that's not used is just, it's without, it's without a point. Buildings aren't the greatest legacy. It's what happens in them. Buildings aren't the greatest legacy. It's what happens in them. If the soldiers have died for our freedom, if we've been bought this freedom, it's what we do with the freedom that makes the difference. If we don't make the most of what we're given, then then the legacy is for nothing. But legacy that we leave costs us something. John 15, 13, the, the classic verse, no one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. There's such a great legacy in giving your life to serve others. And until you find the joy of serving others, I think you'll miss some of the purpose of what life is about. You see, when we serve others well, uh, life goes better uh, for them, but not necessarily in the short term for us. And as we all seek the best for each other, life goes better for the community as a whole. Now, I don't know where you're at now. I don't know what life looks like. But the God we worship is the God of reversals. With Nehemiah, he's uh, reversed what was happening, the destruction and the desolation of the people of God. He's led a path of reversal for the people of God. But he's also come back and he's been able to reverse things. And God loves to reverse things of curse and replace them, as it says in Nehemiah, with blessing. And he wants to use us for that. So wherever we see things going wrong and He wants to use us to be part of the solutions to the problems that we see around us, not just the commentators that look back and go, oh, isn't that a shame? Now, I I talked about it earlier. The the thing we might have been offended by is the comments that were made around separating that they didn't want foreign wives. And so in Nehemiah chapter 10, they, they got rid of all the foreign wives. And part of that is us learning to share vision. It's really easy for me to have a vision for my life and suddenly someone else has a vision and that clashes with my life. But when my vision and someone else's vision clashes, like Nehemiah's and Tobias, life does not work well. So the cost of, of a mixed vision in marriage, we need to have a shared vision for what the marriage is about. Otherwise, the marriage doesn't work well because visions are continually butting against each other. In friendships, we at some level have a shared vision, whether it's you love to play golf with the people and enjoy food afterwards. That's your, your shared vision for what the time will look like. But if you don't have shared vision, uh, the cost of mixed vision is no one achieves their vision. Or you achieve your vision at the cost of someone else's vision or or life or relationship. So what Nehemiah is getting at uh, in this passage is that we need to learn to share vision. To come to points of agreement even though we don't agree on everything. Because the cost of mixed vision is vision that doesn't get achieved. Uh, Jesus has this vision for how we would live in this world. And he says it this way. He says, abide in me as I abide in you. Just as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, 
Neither can you unless you abide in me. And so Jesus is not saying that you can't do things that are fruitful in this world apart from him. But the kind of fruit that comes from abiding in him, being connected to Jesus as your source of love, can only be produced through him. And so what we've seen in Nehemiah is rubble that's left, rubble today, disunity today as Jerusalem is filled with mixed visions for what that place should be about. What we've seen is that apart from Jesus, this shared vision of unity can't happen because Jesus is the one that teaches us that it's through dying to yourself that you can have life. Jesus is the one that takes us down the path of unity and forgiveness and reconnection. Without Jesus, you can't produce the fruit that your life is designed to produce. Nehemiah at the end says this. He says, remember me, O God, concerning this. Do not wipe out my good deeds that I've done for the house of my God and for his service. Remember me, O God, for good. His longing is that the legacy he's left through the rebuilding project wouldn't be a loss. We know the reality that things didn't continue. The Tobias and the Sambalats uh, worked things for their own benefit and, and Jerusalem eventually fell at the hands of its enemies. And so when we think about buildings as not the greatest legacy, what's the greatest legacy that we can give people? Well, the greatest seed you can sow is the seed of faith. It's the only seed that will keep growing even when you stop watering it because God waters the seed of faith in us. So as we think about Anzac Day, as we think about living a life of service to create legacy for others to live in, the legacy of faith is the greatest legacy that you can give someone. Let me pray for, for us as we seek uh, to live for him. Uh, Lord God, thank you that you love us. Thank you, God, that you care for us. Uh, thank you, God, that you know uh, where each of us are at. Uh, thank you, Lord, that no circumstance is too hard for you. Thank you, Lord, that no life is too hard for you. Uh, Lord, where we've lost our vision, where we've lost a, a sense of uh, the bigness of your vision for this world, uh, where we've lost a sense of purpose. We ask, Lord, that you would come and, and restore. Uh, Lord, where we've head, headed down uh, wrong paths, uh, bring reversal. Uh, where there are others that we know that we can see. Lord, use us of, as agents of life and light to each of them. Uh, Lord God, you, you love us and you care for us and you have a hope and a future for us. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would lead us into the hope uh, that you have for us. Uh, Lord, that you would restore us to the hope that you have for us. Uh, that you would capture us by the hope that you have for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.